Please keep your sexy thoughts about me and our guests to yourselves and enjoy. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wiley, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast of deep dive shares about our very personal creative experiences, our impulses, and our dreams, all in the name of exploration, connection, and practicing open curiosity. Our guests today are a couple. He is 26, a white, queer, non-monogamish trans guy. Kinks include but are not limited to restraints, squirting, praise, giving and receiving marks, sensory deprivation, impact play, body worship, insertion, and penetration. Passions include being a homemaker for fairies. Originally from and living in New York, he is partnered with E, a 28-year-old white trans-slash-non-binary person who uses they-them pronouns. They are queer, non-monogamous, and are into some but not all restraints, impact play, puppy play, anal play, choking, and are interested in suspension. They are a mental health therapist and dancer from Vermont, and these two have been together just over two years but have known each other for more than a decade. Welcome, E and A. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. I'm so excited to talk to you both. Can you start off by telling us, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most full of shame and 1 being the least, where do you fall today? This is E. And I think today I'm probably at like a two and that's like going up. I don't have a lot of shame around sex. It's like, I love to talk about it. And I don't know if this is like a social, just like trying to meet people where they're at in their own comfortability, like being kind about that, or if it's my own shame stuff, but I think it's pretty low most of the time. Awesome. And I'm A and I think I'm also at around a two. In general, I think I tend to hover around like a three. I'm not really ashamed about sex or like my own personal sex life or anything like that so much, but have some shame or embarrassment around certain things. Like we can talk about it more in detail later, but there are like aspects of my sexual experience that I have a little bit of shame around or embarrassment around, but generally speaking, pretty shame-free. Cool. Like kinks and stuff? The main one that comes to mind is just how long it takes me to come. Okay. It takes me a long time and a lot of effort. And I have to like really consciously not get in my head about it because I get embarrassed about it, yeah. which just makes it take longer. And it's just like, oh, I can relate. Okay. Okay. We're going to get into all details. But first, can you tell us just a little snapshot overview of what your sex life is like right now and each of your respective favorite parts? So we are long distance. And so we see each other for about a week to two weeks every month. So our sex kind of comes in spurts and spurts. I had to say that. I had to. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that in the beginning of our relationship, when we would visit each other, we had like a lot of sex often. And over time, we've grown a repertoire of each other and like grown we went through a big, big, big discovery phase. And now we're kind of like really diving into like the minutia of things that feel really good. So we don't have as much of it, but when we do, it feels very intentional and like deep and impactful in different ways. And I think we're more comfortable like in navigating when we do want to have sex and when we don't want to have sex, even though we're only seeing each other for a short amount of time and like letting that be okay. I agree on all fronts. I think the only words that really come to mind personally about my experience of our sex life, fulfilling, expansive, and healing. A lot of healing. Fuck yeah. 
I normally ask people, what does sexy mean to you? And I'm curious about your answers. I'm also curious, since we have you there together, when does the other person like turn you on with their sexiness outside of like when you're already fucking, like in everyday life? I have thought up so much about this question and it'll probably change all the time. Oh, yeah. But the piece coming back to is like creation energy. Like whenever I'm just feeling really energetic and like, it's hard because I usually get the most turned on in the middle of the day. And it's because that's when I have like my most energy mm-hmm. and it's the most inconvenient time to have sex. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So I think it's like any time that I'm feeling really creative, whether that be through art or my dance or music or like physical creativity, I think is when I feel the most sexier when sexiness is like present in my realm. I came up with a brilliant definition for myself. I'm so months excited. ago now. I wish I had it for you. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's passion. Mm. Whatever that passion is about, you know, whether that's somebody having a really good day at work and they just want to talk about it or someone who loves singing or making music, performing or dancing or acting or helping their community or whatever it is that just really lights someone up from the inside is like by far the hottest thing to me. So is that when you find E the sexiest? Often, yes, but not exclusively. From sort of the beginning of our romantic dynamic, there have just been weird little moments where they're not necessarily doing anything in particular. They're just existing. And I just look over and I'm like, wow, I want to jump your bones. Just like seeing them laughing across the room or, you know, just like the way you're serving yourself breakfast. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, like from the beginning of our dynamic, that's been a thing of just like, I don't know, just the way you're living life is hot. (laughs) E, what about you? A was the first person to highlight for me the idea of someone being really passionate, being really sexy. I like always thought about that. I knew that in my mind, but I never like pinpointed it. When he gets really into talking about something that he's really into, it's like, I really love that. Mm. Just seeing him excited about something, I think, is really hot and exciting to me. Also, anytime I'm focused on his hands. Mm. He's an artist and he like does a lot of work. And if I'm just like watching him do things, I'm focusing on his hands. I get it. Okay, so take us back in time to your early years. Tell us when each of you remembered hearing about sex and then just kind of walk us through your formative experiences. This is E. Yeah, I don't really remember the first time I like heard about it necessarily. I do remember I'm a younger sibling. And so my older sibling was often watching movies that had like sexual connotations to it. And I just remember being like really interested in it because it was something that wasn't explicit. And I was like, what is happening? I must know. And I would like rewatch VHSs, like rewind, play, rewind, play to be like, why are they going under the sheets? And what are those noises? And, you know, it seemed like something that was fun. So I like thought about that a lot. And my dad gave me the sex talk right before my first day of first grade and like laid me on the bed and we just stared at the ceiling and he told me like the mechanics and used all of the like real words, penis and vagina. And it was still very mechanical and definitely heterosexual. Mm -hmm. And then I 
started like masturbation probably at like a what I think is like a quote unquote young age, probably around like six or seven. But I was like playing with friends at a younger age. And I don't know if I had a cognizant understanding of that being like sex or sexual necessarily. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the feelings around it? Yeah. When I was young, it was in like kindergarten and it was fun, but definitely seemed like not something we were supposed to be doing. Like it definitely seemed like something we should have a little bit of fear or shame around. And I do remember getting caught once by a friend's parents and them not being like super angry, but definitely being like, ah, like scared and like chewing us away from each other and being like, don't do that. Yeah. And then like another experience with a friend when I got a bit older was non-consensual and definitely is like the root of a lot of like other things. And when I told my parents about that, they were really good about it. And it was someone of the same sex as me. And they kind of saw it as just like, you know, kids exploring and they were like, it's totally okay. And they let me go to a therapist about it because I had a lot of shame about it. Mm. And looking back on it, it was more about the non-consensual part than it was about like the actual acts. School sex ed, they like, you know, they did the breaking up of boys and girls in fifth grade and it was mostly about puberty. Seventh grade got a little bit more into all genders together and they got more into STDs and abortions and more about like the real reproductive system stuff. But I don't think I learned anything about consent other than like rape is bad uh-huh. and that rape vision of what it is. You know, it's like someone you don't know. It's like yeah. late at night you're walking down the street and da, 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 and definitely no talk about pleasure or anything like that. Mm-hmm. A? I think my understanding of sex, I grew up in, in a naked house till I hit, I think 10 or 11. And I was like, I am uncomfortable now. <laughs> and then we all started wearing clothes and closing the door when we showered and all that. Was it the entire family or was it just parents and you like, what's your, yeah, I have a younger sibling and my parents. Yeah. Okay. So it just sort of was like bodies just were. And to a certain extent, sex also just sort of was, it wasn't not talked about, but it also wasn't exactly talked about. Mm. That makes any sense. I remember growing up, we had this set of coasters (laughs) that like I had completely forgotten about until I found them on a shelf not long ago that are in the ancient Greek style of art. And it's just two people, various positions banging it out on coasters <laughs> and like, like we just had those on our coffee table when I was growing up amazing so it just sort of was and we didn't really talk about it until I asked questions so much but I remember being young like maybe five and we were on vacation and I found this book that was my dad's when he was younger called where did I come from it's old <laughs> it's a picture book you know it's meant to be consumed by kids and it's just very matter of fact very mechanical very you know when a man and a woman love each other very much and this is how babies are made and blah 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 but like I read that on my own time and I didn't feel the need to ask any questions about it we didn't have any like oh the stork or you know we we didn't have anything (laughs) like that I did eventually ask I made the mistake of asking my dad right before I was going to bed he was tucking me in and my dad is very thorough. Also ADHD. And so ADHD. (laughs) 
And so it was like, all right, I have information about this. Let me give it to you. And I'm lying there thinking this was going to be like a really brief, here's the basics. We could talk about it another time. And it ended up being like 45 minutes (laughs) of me just lying there, kind of almost hiding under my covers and my dad explaining the very specific biological mechanics of like, I very much so remember him making this beak shape with his hand (laughs) being like, and then the cervix opens, and that's how the semen gets inside the uterus. And I was just like, I just want to go to bed now. I regret everything about this. <laughs> I might have been nine, maybe ten. I just, I was like, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> and I remember being a little older when I was starting to think about my sexual identity and sexuality and saying to my dad, what does gay mean? And my dad, bless him, he tried so hard. He was like, well... That's when a girl likes boys and girls, but we'll talk about that when you're older. And I was like, that doesn't sound right, but I guess we'll talk about it when I'm older. <laughs> I think he panicked, yeah. genuinely, because... It sounds like he wasn't prepared for that question in the same way that he was prepared for your other biological, or what he perceived to be a biologically oriented question. Exactly. You know, when we did ask questions, my, my sibling and I, it was pretty matter of fact, mm-hmm. but very lighthearted at the same time, a lot of jokes. I wouldn't say it was taboo necessarily in my household. It just wasn't necessarily talked about all the time. The one other thing I want to touch on is just what consent culture was like in my house growing up. I've since spoken to my mom about it a bunch, and she was like, I think we did an okay job, but I don't think we did a great job about teaching bodily autonomy. Mm. Specifically, like, you know, when you're a small child and you don't want to kiss your relative yes. goodbye or something yes. like that. And yes. It's like, oh, well, you have to go kiss grandma goodbye and like that kind of thing. And she expressed feeling really bad about that. But in general, you know, I grew up with that. We don't put our hands on other people. We don't do it. We don't hit. We don't kick. We don't bite. We don't pull hair ever. It is never OK to put your hands on another person without them saying it's OK. So that was really formative for me. The other big thing was my mom from a very young age told me and my sibling, if anybody ever says anything to you, like, if you loved me, you would blank, or don't you want me to feel better or anything like that? You kick them as hard as you can in the (laughs) groin. The coercion, I think, was talked about more than any other kind of potential consent violation, which I think is unusual. But it also gave me a good foundation for being older and having people say things like that to me and being like, I don't have to do that. Yeah. Did you ever kick anyone in the groin? No, because oh, we don't put our hands on. Right. Without their- <laughs> the closest thing I got to a sex talk was very similar because it was my mom being like, if a boy ever tries to pressure you into doing anything you don't want to do with saying I love you, you don't have to do it. Like that was the version approximately that I got. Did either of you ever get any sort of like, here's what to do if you are very horny? Like, was that a part of your sex talks at all? Not until I was older. When I was older, my parents went to some conference. don't remember what it was called, but it was uh, like an alternative lifestyle kink porn conference festival thing. And when they came back, they sat me and my sibling down and they had a shoebox and they were like, all right. We learned some things. And in this shoebox, you will find condoms and dental dams and some little packets of lube. And we're just going to put this box in the bathroom. And so if you or your friends 
need anything. You can just get it without asking us. It's there so people can be safe. And my sibling and I were both like, this is horribly uncomfortable. (laughs) How old were you? I was 16. Okay. Something like that. So my sibling was probably like somewhere between 10 and 12. So we were both just like, we just want to get the fuck out of here. We don't want to be having this conversation. But in hindsight, that was great. They did really well with that. That was a good thing that they did. I mean, that's pretty cool. Can you fill us in on like where you were in your own sexual journey at that moment? Like, were you touching yourself at that point? Were you touching partners at that point? Mm, 16 or 17 was my first relationship where we were touching each other. Around 15, I touched my first boob. (laughs) I say it like that because they were visiting from out of town and we were in my room and we had an open door policy. So I had to leave my door open. So it was like barely an inch cracked open (laughs) and we're making out and I'm just like a glacier's pace sliding my hand so slowly like thinking maybe she wasn't gonna notice or like I don't I don't know why I was so nervous and I like finally got there and then there was some loud noise from out in the hall and I panicked and like jumped back and when the crisis passed I started over again and nothing ended up happening yeah like 17 was my first relationship where we were touching and having sex Before that, though, my first experience with touching myself, we had this vibrating back massager. (laughs) I think I was like 11, probably. And I was like, I'm curious what that would feel like, maybe, probably. And then the back massager disappeared from the public spaces of the house. And that was wonderful. Amazing. Did you ever end up touching yourself with your hands or were your formative experiences with vibrates? I must have. Because I had to somehow figure out that, like, there was something there that might feel good with vibrations. I've talked to a lot of people that don't use their hands until their 20s. I've spoken to enough people at this point that, like, they discover the sensation however they discover it. You know, mine was, I read about masturbation, so I knew that hands were a thing. But, like, I've also experimented with so many different ways over the years. So I'm just always curious. If something doesn't jump to mind, that's okay. But that's amazing. How big was this back massage? Like, was it like a Hitachi Wander? Was it like a double? Like, what was the shape of it? It was definitely not meant for that kind of massage. <laughs> Dual usage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like yay big. So like maybe a large orange okay. or a very small grapefruit. Okay. And it had one big button on the top. And then it had three prongs coming off of oh. the bottom. The prongs were each maybe like a little smaller than a ping pong ball. Mm-hmm. And you push the button and it vibrates. That's, I know, I know what you're talking about. I've seen those. So what went where when you used it? That was some experimenting. <laughs> Generally, it was one prong on what I call my dick. Mm-hmm. And then the other two just sort of like up towards the rest of my body, not really doing much. Okay, like toward pelvis. Yeah, but sometimes I would twist it and try like, the prongs were a little too widely set apart to get exactly where I wanted them. Yes, yes. But had some fun exploring taint vibrations. <gasps> Positioning was tricky, but mostly it was just focused on my cock. Amazing. Okay, I would like the two of you to walk us through your formative sexual experiences by yourself, with others. I want to hear about oral explorations, like the stuff that sticks out to you 
you know, maybe this stuff, I don't know, do couples share this stuff with each other? I know some do, some don't, but I'm curious, whatever feels relevant to how you got to where you are now in your sex lives, can you just share a little bit about those early explorations? I'll try to keep it as concise as possible because there's so much. And yeah, we've talked about a lot, if not all of it. I'll be surprised if anything is something that he hasn't heard. So I mentioned like played with friends when I was young and then had that experience with a friend that was non-consensual, but also, you know, there's elements of it that I liked and that really complicated my understanding of like pleasure and shame Mm -hmm. for a while. And also my relationship to sex with someone of the same sex. And for years, I thought that like every time I had an interaction, like a sexual interaction or like an attraction to someone of the same sex, I would get this like very physical reaction that was like full of shame. It was like a pit in my stomach, Mm. so much anxiety. And I just was like, oh, I'm not queer. That means I'm not queer. And like later was like, oh no, that's trauma. Like I absolutely do like that, but it's just like a physical ramification. So, but yeah, so that was pretty formative. And then I'm so sorry. I have a question of ignorance. When you are saying same sex at that point in your life, what was that identification? Yes. Great question. Yeah. I was identifying as female at the time. Okay. So it was someone who was also a cis female. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for asking. And yeah. And then in terms of solo play, I think I started by using, it was like a lollipop holder that vibrated. It was like, you'd stick a lollipop in it and then you click a button and it would like spin around and like vibrate. <laughs> I don't know where I got it, but I was like, well, who needs the lollipop? So used that for a while, went through a lot of batteries, and then it totally shit the bed. And then I also had like a massager, but it was like a mat that had like sections on it that vibrated. And I think my parents at that point knew that that's what I was using it for because they would know to leave me alone if I had my massage mat out and they'd like definitely knock on the door. Like we had a, a knocking on the door policy because we didn't have locks. So they'd always knock before they came in. But like sometimes they wouldn't, but they definitely did when they knew that I had my massage mat out. Okay. Uh, first of all, I didn't know massage mats were a thing. Now I want one. Second of all, that's really sweet. That's so loving in my opinion. Yeah. I definitely started learning more about sex via the internet. You know, we grew up in the age of the internet starting to come about. First, like, started by reading really, really bad erotica, like, tons of bad spelling, like, (laughs) not good. I don't even know where I found it. You know, I think I probably just wrote in, like, sex. And the first thing that popped up was, like, sugardaddy.com. And so it was, like, just no gay porn. And I was so into it. And got a ton of computer viruses. And my dad so confused he'd be like why do you keep getting computer viruses also i should add the family computer was in my room so the whole family was so pissed every time we'd have these computer viruses and i'd be like shit and he'd every time you'd see sugar daddy come up he's like why is this porn site invading your computer little seven-year-old me like obviously doesn't suspect me of that you were seven (laughs) yeah And then also found, you know, pay-per-view on TV, not Mm. realizing what pay-per-view meant. Oh. And so I would like buy like some porn on TV and my dad would get the bill and he always blamed my brother. And I was like, (laughs) tee-hee-hee. Oh my gosh. They probably figured it out, but they didn't say anything. And then, yeah, I got older. I did use my hands for a long time because I didn't have access to buying a toy yet. And I didn't use a lot of penetration. It was mostly external. I like experimented with internal, but I was like, I don't get this. Why is this a thing? Mm. Like it just didn't do anything for me for a while, which has changed. Yeah. 
and got old enough. I think I bought toys mostly in P-Town at like a store, which I will not name, that didn't always ask for IDs and you could buy toys. And so I think I started buying toys around like 16 years old and they were just like really cheap, bad vibrators, but they did the trick. So I think that was my solo adventures. Yeah, my solo adventures. I think that back massager was sort of like the real start. And that back massager went with me all the way through to sophomore year of college. Amazing. Duct tape was my friend. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah, it did. And then when I was in college, I finally was like, maybe I should get something that's like meant for this. Yeah. But before that, I I got this hand-me-down laptop that I was only allowed to have because it wouldn't hold a charge. So it had to be plugged in. And I had to keep it plugged in by the family computer in the dining room. So like I couldn't have it in my room because they didn't want me to get into bad things, which is hilarious because I would come home from school every day and be the only one home for like two hours before people got home from work. So I would just sit in the computer chair and find things on the internet. I think I also started with like really bad fan fiction porn, but I thought it was great. Then ended up graduating to gay cis male porn Mm -hmm. first and was like, very into it and still very into it mm-hmm. instead of doing my homework I just chilled there until people <laughs> got home I got really good at being able to tell when somebody was pulling into the driveway mm-hmm. there was one time I didn't hear anybody pull into the driveway and we had a front door and the back door into the kitchen which was like a semi-open plan kitchen into dining room so my dad came up the deck stairs and opened the door and because my pants were like around my knees I like literally galloped like a horse into the other room and he just stood there and was like what are you doing I was like nothing (laughs) what he didn't ask any more questions but yeah I also got really good at because I wasn't allowed to have a computer in my room I got really good at using my imagination and specifically I would put on music on my CD player boombox and create like music video type scenarios in my head to the music in place of like normal fantasies, quote unquote. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know. It sounds like a perfect fantasy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really get into penetration all that much. I similarly remember trying penetration without any external stimulation and being like, I don't get it. Like, it's fine, I guess, but like, it feels kind of weird. Like, mm. There's something where there is something. Mm. Then there was one day where I guess I was particularly horny and had this little plastic drumstick. And I was like, girth is terrifying. I didn't have words for it at the time, but that's what my thought process was. So I was using that for penetration. And I'm fairly certain that was the first and only time to date that I have squirted. I was on the couch and I just sat there dumbfounded. I was like, I peed on the couch. <laughs> oh God. So I think I like took off my sock and like tried to like, stop it up. <laughs> stop it up as best I yep. could. And just terrified myself. So I didn't really try that again. I got really good at multiple orgasms at that age because I had a couple hours before people got home. So I would just keep going and like not uh-huh. stop. Was it like rolling or building or did you take breaks in between? I didn't take breaks because I was like, I don't know. It feels good. Like, why would I stop? Because I am a 
perpetually in search of dopamine. I just keep going until it hurt, and then I would stop. But like, didn't do a whole lot of homework. Did a lot of <laughs> marathon orgasms. I love it. So both of you have experiences, formative experiences, watching cis male gay porn. I didn't even like know that my butthole could like do a thing until I was a little bit older. Did watching gay porn inspire you to explore buttholes at any point by yourself? It didn't. I don't think the butt play was like what did it for me in those films. I think also because I didn't hadn't seen anything else at the time, you know, mm-hmm. and like to me, it was just like, whoa, this is a very explicitly sexual thing. And that was just like enough for me. Also, it was body parts like penises were things that I hadn't really seen. Mm -hmm. And it was shocking and exciting to me to like learn and see what the fuck that was about. Yeah. So I think it was more just like the general overall like excitement of it all rather than the anal play. But I do think it decreased my shame around it probably. Like I think I was never someone who was like, oh my God, no, I would never do that. Mm -hmm. I was like, also pretty like sexually open like person from a young age so like I love talking about it and exploring things with people for various reasons hey what about you and butt things it didn't really occur to me that it was a butthole in hindsight I can guess that the reason it appealed to me so much was twofold it was that when I tried watching cishet porn it felt so performative Mm. Like, I couldn't find anything that felt genuine. Mm -hmm. But, like, when it's cis gay porn, you can't, I mean, maybe you can, I don't know. But to my mind at the time, at least, you can't fake ejaculating. Mm. So, like, there wasn't this, like, lingering question in the back of my mind of, like, but, like, are they actually feeling good? Like, are they actually enjoying it? So that really appeals to me still to this day appeals to me. But I think also for me, gay cis male porn appealed to me because I'm a trans guy and it's double the penis. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's, it's an opportunity for me to sort of imagine and envision myself in either position in a way that feels affirming. Okay. Continue along with the sexual journey. E, what? What happened next or what else do we need to know about your sexual unfolding? I think more consensually with other people, it started. So my best friend is married to my brother. And this best friend was someone that I had a lot of like formative experiences with. So she and I would spend a couple weeks every summer with part of my family. And like when I was 12, I think I had my first kiss there. And the guy was much, much older. And I think that next year in the Cape, it was like the first time someone had gone down on me. And it was like she and I and this person we just met on the beach in a threesome, which was my first threesome. And I think in between that year, I had a boyfriend who I dated on and off for years, who was not a great person, but was like the first time experiencing, I think the first time I'd given a blow job and a hand job. And I think I was 14, 13 to 14. Yeah. And then the guy in the Cape going down on me for the first time and being very self-conscious about it, mostly because I hadn't shaved everything. And my friend was like completely shaved and she had been having sex for a couple of years with different people. And cause she was a year older than me mm-hmm. and she was kind of my like adventurous, rebellious friend. 
And so I was like, she knows more. I should have shaved like that. And then just not knowing, having no idea what it was going to be like. And the position we were in was she was going down on him. And then I was sitting on his face. And like, he wanted that. Like he asked, like he was like, I want that. And I was like, are you sure? That seems really uncomfortable. I thought the same thing when I learned about face sitting. I was like, like suffocating them? Like, I just didn't know. If that's the way I die, I die (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and then I had a couple different experiences of rape between a couple, like I think around 14 to 15 that... I didn't know where it's like necessarily sexual assault or like I was hard for me to view it that way. Do you feel comfortable saying why so that people listening maybe can examine their own experiences? Yeah, I think one was because it was partly like the, I kind of wanted it. Like Mm -hmm. I, like I was asking for it in my like behaviors or in how much we had been flirting. Like it was the, in my mind when I was that age, it was like how my teenage mind worked and what I was being told you know, well, you were leading up to that, right? So it wasn't like that big for someone to jump to that. And also like not saying yes is like also no and didn't know that. It was like, well, I didn't say no and I didn't say yes. So Mm. I think it's fine. And like people being like, no, that's not fine. And also substances, sometimes like not remembering and being like, well, maybe I said yes, maybe I said no. And it's like, either way, not okay. And then in my mind being like, if I don't remember, then maybe it didn't happen. Mm. And I don't want to say anything because maybe it didn't happen. So it was a lot of that. But the first time I like decided like, I'm going to have penetrative sex with a man. We just like met a couple people on the beach one night. And then the next day, you know, he texted me. He's like, you know, I want to have sex. And I was like, great. And he was like, are you a virgin? And I like lied. And I was like, no. And he was like, okay, great. And so we just met up on the beach the next night. And me and my friend had like stolen some alcohol. So we drank a little bit. And then we went to do it. And he was like, do you have a condom? It's like, no. And he was like, okay, let's go to a store. So luckily he like at least wanted to take that step with me. And so we drove me to the store. But on the way, I already knew somewhere deep down, like this wasn't what I wanted or like I wanted to be far away from it. So I was like, I'm not fucked up enough. And I made like a bong out of a water bottle in his car so I could smoke and not have to like truly be in the situation. And then we got back to the beach and we had sex for like a few minutes. And it was because he thought I was not a virgin, I guess. He like just went really fast, really hard, really quickly. And it was really painful. And I like didn't say anything. And, you know, I like don't know this person. And then he couldn't come. So I went down on him and that was it. And that was like the first time type of thing. I remember feeling proud afterwards. I was like, it's done. Mm-hmm. I like don't have to worry anymore. Like it's over. It was almost like I just needed to get it done with. I didn't care how, like, I don't know why it felt like that, but it mm-hmm. was just this, like, get this milestone out of the way. But I think it definitely was on brand for how I had thought about sex in my body for like years of like being for someone else and like just really performative. So a lot of my sexual experiences for a long time were like of that vein of just like performative 
not really for my pleasure. Like I didn't know that I could have an orgasm with someone else. Like I truly believed it was like only something I was able to do. And I settled for so long of just like, well, you know, that's okay. It'll feel really good sometimes. And I'll just do it on my own another time. I can relate to that. Yeah. And then luckily I had a really sweet boyfriend towards the end of high school who tried to like explore more with me in like very soft and loving ways. And he said it was okay for me to share a lot of things on this podcast. He actually wrote me like a very long, very detailed, I like texted him when I knew I was doing this. I was like, Hey, are there any things that like you remember about our time that like you would feel comfortable with me sharing? And he like sent me out like bullet points of like different types of experiences that were categorized and like different ways. It was so, so sweet. And I'm really grateful for that relationship because up until then, like I said, I had just mostly really negative, whether I knew it or not, experiences. Yeah. And he and I really had more conversation about what we liked, what we didn't like. Like he was the first person where like oral was something that was definitely always practiced before like doing any type of any other penetration and like talking about it. And it was really hard for me. I grew up with an eating disorder and Mm. with having treatment, but my body image and body stuff was rampant. And he was very aware of that. He had his own body sensitivities. So we had a lot of like loving communication around it and some really, really good experiences. So I started to learn a little bit more through that relationship. I was like, oh, maybe there's, maybe there's more here. What's the age range of that relationship? I guess that was my junior year in high school. So I was probably 16 to 17. Okay. So you had met at this point. Oh, wait, no, you're 28. So you hadn't met at this point. Okay. I want to know when you two met. We met when I was 15 and you were 14. We didn't really start to orbit each other until I was like 23 and you were like 22. We met at a camp when we were really young and we weren't really like friends then. Mm -hmm. And then we went back as counselors and we reunited then. Amazing. And I think the only other formative pieces were like, just general promiscuity. Like, I think this is something I'm still untangling now is that like, I loved physical intimacy and it's been really mixed for me of like how much of that is genuine desire for physical intimacy and how much of it is me thinking that that's an expectation that people have of me, especially cis men. So like I was constantly seeking physical attention as a teenager from cis men specifically. Mm -hmm. And for validation of my body, I was like in a group of friends who were very stereotypically beautiful and popular. And I was kind of like that friend that was always with them, but not always desired in the same way. And so I think there was like ways that I was like trying to prove myself often of like, well, you know, not everybody wants me because like, I'm not stereotypically beautiful, but I can be really good at sex Mm. and I can be really good at being hot and known for that. And then once they like that and know me, then they'll really like me because I'm also a cool person. Uh. That was kind of my hook for people for a while or what I thought of at least. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you're using the term physical intimacy here, because does it just mean private physical touching or does it mean some sort of like intimate emotional connection with physical stuff added to it? I'm using it more in this case as like sexual physical intimacy, but I think that back then as teenagers, any type of physical intimacy was like a read as like <gasps> sex, you know, Good point. hugging some people, you know, like I remember I was labeled as like a slut from the get go in high school because I like to hug people. And I went to, I transferred from like a public school to a private school and that private school was much more conservative. 
And so I went in being me and people like literally the first day were just like, oh, what a slut just because I like to hug people. So any type of physical intimacy within that social group was read into a lot more than I think other circles would have. I kind of had like two separate lives. I had like my friends that I grew up with that like were more rebellious and promiscuity. And then I had my like private school friends that were a little bit more subdued, except for like, I found my people for sure. (laughs) But yeah, my train of thought before was that I'm still untangling like when I'm desiring sexual physical intimacy, where is that coming from? Like, is it always truly a desire of mine or am I like feeding into a feeling that someone is expecting something from me? And is that truly what's happening or am I putting that on the patient? And is that like a trauma response? So like I'm still untangling a lot of that. And we have really good talks about that. It's amazing what you can talk about when you find a fucking awesome partner. And then I think the only other two things, I mean, this is my first college boyfriend really opened up my world sexually. I think he's the first person I did anal with and first person to like want to really talk with me about sex and really care about my pleasure. And he also was okay with me talking about him on the podcast. And he actually just came and visited a couple weekends ago and we're still really, really good friends. Amazing. Although we took about a five-year break. He, okay. he couldn't talk to me for years, but we're really close now. And we did a lot of drugs and had a lot of sex on drugs. And that was like a whole other type of thing. But yeah, there was also some not good things. And like, there were a lot of expectations there that I have been like deconstructing as well. You know, he and I have had conversations about some not great moments sexually between us that didn't feel good for me. And he's been able to own up to them and not try to defend himself or explain himself as much and just be like, that was wrong and bad. And I'm sorry. And that's so healing to like be able to do. You can't always get that from people who hurt you sexually, you know, and that's been really helpful, informative to where I am now is to know that that's possible. And then my last long-term partner was like a five-year relationship. The piece that's important for where I am now is that we had like a really good sexual relationship for a long time. And then all of a sudden I started being really anxious around sex and like having full-on panic attacks whenever we would try to have sex. And looking back on it now, you know, I had no idea what was happening in the time. And that was really disorienting for me. And I thought it was because, you know, Trump had just gotten elected. So this was like 2016, 2017. And the Me Too movement was like skyrocketing again. And I was like, maybe I'm just having like trauma pop up and mm. it's ruining this thing in my body. Looking back on it, I had just re-met and I had been like delving into my head more into queerness and I had never identified as straight. I had hooked up with women like growing up here and there, but I was always drunk and I was like, it's not a real thing. Like I just, I'd have sex with them, but I don't think I could have like relationships with anybody other than cis males. Mm. Yeah. And then I I met A and I was like, this person's really cool. And then the next summer I went back and we kissed, I cheated on my partner and I had to go back and say what happened. And I like asked for an open relationship and was like, I'm really queer. I need to figure this out. He said no. And so I was like, well, okay, I've been in this relationship for four years. I'm going to just keep trying. And that's when I started having panic attacks because I was like shutting all of this stuff down in my body of like, oh, there's a lot of things that I need. There's a lot of things I'm trying to figure out and I don't have room for that. So I think my body was like, saying some things. You know, I still stayed in it for like a year. We bought a house together and then six months. Yeah, I know your facial expression is correct. (laughs) That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. We, we moved out into a little bit of the country and bought a house and had a dog the whole nine yards. And 
six months into that, I was like, I can't do this. A month later, went back to camp, not knowing that A, who would be there. The rest is history from there. But (laughs) those are all my very important (laughs) pinpoints. Beautiful. Okay. A, rewind us, take us through your formative experiences, and then I'm super excited to get into your kinks and what you love and the specifics and what you play with. The first time I came out, I came out as a lesbian and I was about 13. And to say I came out as kind of a misnomer, I more was shoved out. This very long-term family friend, there was a group of us families that all had kids around the same age. And I developed some kind of relationship with one of them. They were two years older than me. Sort of opened the door for me in terms of like, welcome to queerness, Mm -hmm. which I'm grateful for. And apparently I was not super slick about it because I was in the car with my mother one day and she was like, you know that your father and I would love you no matter what, right? I was like, I'm not ready for this conversation. I want (laughs) to jump out this moving car. And I was stuck there while she was like, you know, no matter who you love, we love you and blah, blah, blah. And I was just mortified, Mm. absolutely mortified. Looking back, I'm like, oh, that's really wholesome and sweet. But at the time, I wanted nothing more than to not be there. And that person that I was in a sort of relationship with, that went on for about two years until I was 15. And they were abusive in just about every way, Mm. which I think as I've gotten older, I've become more and more aware of the fact like that was much more formative than I thought it was at the time. You know, I didn't really have many friends at that time. And friends that I did have, pretty much all of them were like, this seems really not good for you. And we're worried. And my response to that was like, you just don't understand. Mm. You don't get it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was 13, 14, and they were 15, 16, and they had a lot of stuff going on. And I ended up being in the position of being responsible for them in a lot of really not okay ways. Not okay for anybody, but especially not a literal child. Yeah. So that person was my first kiss. And at the time, it was like the best possible thing that could have happened because I really truly believed that we were going to be together forever and ever. <laughs> and in hindsight, I'm less than stoked about it because I think in actuality, that moment, it was a power play mm. and that feels icky. I'm really grateful for all of the times my mom told me that like coercion is not cool because what could have been my first time having any kind of sexual contact was this person. It was just a really, it was a fucked up situation across the board. But so that was formative because it taught me incorrectly that my lot in life, my job was to be the emotional garbage can for what other people can't or don't want to hold. Mm. My was to make other people feel better and that I would always and forever be second best. And I'm still to this day unlearning a lot of that. So that feeds into there was one summer at camp first time anybody touched me I was at camp and this person was saying like I'm really afraid of the dark we were walking back to our cabins I'm really afraid of the dark can I hold your hand while we walk and I was like yeah of course and we're walking back and we get back to the group of cabins and they came into our cabin even though they weren't in our cabin and were like following me around the cabin and ended up putting their hands on me 
And I just didn't react. Mm. It was like in front of everybody else in the cabin. And I just didn't acknowledge it, didn't react, didn't anything. And eventually they left. And the next school year, I finally had a moment where I was like, I need to find a dictionary and look up some words. And I came out of the library and my friend was waiting for me. And I was like, I think I was assaulted. And I had a lot of things in my head of like, you were flirting. Why wouldn't they think that's where things were going? You know, they were scared. Your job was to make them feel better. And so you did your job and like Mm. all of that mess. And that was about 14. Fast forward, summer, I turned 15. So the next year I went to camp, met somebody. It was great. We hit it off and I came back from camp and went to that person who I was, you know, their very best friend that they love very much and was like, this is super toxic. Mm. I'm out. And was with this person that I met at camp for a couple months. That ended, but it was fine. And not a whole lot in terms of sexual experience until the following school year where I was in a relationship with this girl who was my first, like everything else. And I learned that I really enjoyed doing things to her, Mm. receiving of things I didn't like all that much. At the time, again, I was still identifying as a lesbian. And anytime I was on the receiving end of anything sexual, I would, I now know, completely dissociate, just completely be not at all present, as if I were on the outside watching it happen and just going through the physical motions. Faked orgasms for six months. That sucked. (laughs) Then we broke up and I reveled in being that lesbian that turned the straight girls, quote unquote. Yeah, I took that and ran with it and never really got any further than just making out with people. But that was a Mm -hmm. lot of fun. Mm -hmm. There were no expectations of other people putting their hands on me. It was very much so like, I'm the lesbian turning the straight girls. So I'm doing the initiating, which meant that it didn't have to go any further than just making out because that's where I was comfortable. Mm -hmm. Around that time, I also started drinking and doing drugs. And I have been sober for eight years now. But so that fed into that as well, just getting myself away from reality Mm. and then myself to reality. Then towards the end of senior year, I came out as trans. Again, was sort of pushed out of the closet by accident by a very well-meaning parent of my then girlfriend and went to college and got sober and then was in a straight relationship because I was convinced that I was a straight man and was in that relationship for almost two years. And it just ended up not working. We both had things to work on and we were enabling each other in not working on ourselves. And also I'm like very queer. So (laughs) being in a straight relationship, I didn't notice until it was over that like part of me was being stifled. Mm -hmm. Felt really not good. A little later on, I was in a relationship with somebody who for the first time, I realized, wow, sex can be good. This was 2018, so I was 23. And like up to that point, I had had times where it's like sex did feel good or, you know, emotionally it was connecting or something like that, but it was still always performative in some way for me. And it was really, really hard for me to not dissociate, even Mm -hmm. when I was actively trying to be present. It was just my immediate defense mechanism. 
And then this person and I were together for a handful of months, and I learned that sex can be fun. It can feel really, really good. It can be an adventure and have a lot of laughter and be a beautiful, messy tangle of limbs. And it was just... Do you think it was because she saw you as you? I do. I think it was my first time being in a relationship as myself, as a queer trans man. And that ended messily, but it's okay. (laughs) And then we met (laughs) this one. That's been a wild ride. Oh my a very good. Gosh, I feel like it's probably been a lot of wild rides if I'm uh, being literal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. Thank you for sharing that story. I think there are a lot of well-meaning people in this universe that just have no idea how to be supportive. And it sounds like you had another experience where you were accidentally outed. Do you want to speak to that at all? God, I feel I feel so bad. She really didn't mean to. Of course. I was dating this girl and I had slept over at her house and my dad came to pick me up. Her family only knew me as A and he, and I was too slow putting on my shoes. So he came to the door and her mom opened the door and was like, we love him. He's great. He did all the dishes after dinner. He's so wonderful. You have a great kid. And I'm just like instant cold sweat. And my dad kept it together until we got into his car and he was like, so what? What would people take away from that? I think it was on me to explain my situation to her parents and I didn't do that. So that was my failing them. But I think when in doubt, err on the side of neutrality. If you're not sure, err on the side of, I don't want to sound preachy. I asked you. I asked you for this one. This is actually me asking for advice. So, like, please feel free. This is your opinion. But, like, I think this is how we learn. I mean, this is a beautiful way if you feel like teaching for us to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, one, when in doubt, ask. So long as you're respectful about it. And I can't speak for everyone. I know for me personally, so long as someone is respectful about it and, you know, comes to me and says, I want to make sure that I am referring to you in the way that feels best. I want to make sure that you are safe and I don't want to put you in any compromising positions. How should I refer to you in this situation, that situation, et cetera? I'm more than happy to answer those questions. And I think that's a good rule of thumb. When in doubt, ask. And if for whatever reason asking feels uncomfortable, ask someone that you know mutually or, yeah, just default to neutral, default to their name or gender-neutral pronouns. Just leave room. Yeah. Thank you. Does that mean that we get to hear about your, like, kink? Like, how did you guys become kinky? And what do you do? And what do you like to play together? And who... Do you have a power dynamic? I can't... Like, I've been trying to figure it out. And I'm like, I can't fucking tell. <laughs> this is because we are both switches. Ah, okay, 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 okay. Because I was like, I hear power dynamic things, but I don't know if there's a direction. Oh, switches confuse me so much. Tell me everything, <laughs> wherever you want to start. I think... I remember correctly we like didn't know that we were both as freaky as we were until like a month or two into the relationship and like we were having great sex but like it was very much so just like getting to know each other's bodies and like which was just all in itself just fun and exciting and like all the endorphins we needed and then we started having conversations about like oh like what kind of porn do you watch and like we were both really hesitant and like 
well, you know, uh, and then we'd be like, oh, thank God, me too. Okay. You know, it just like rolled from there. And then it was like, would you be interested in exploring this? And like, we both would just get so excited. And we were just like, no one's ever wanted to explore this with me before. No one's ever like talked about this with me before. It was like, so we were both just so excited to have someone to like be this freaking weird with. We have a Google Doc of all um, of the things. And God, I don't even know where to start. I actually just want to first hear. So, okay, so this is an example of a relationship where you liked each other and had chemistry, but the attraction was not necessarily sexual first, even though that was a big part of it. Because this is what I'm trying to wrap my brain around of like, okay, so you know you're kinky. If a person knows they are kinky, but that's maybe not how they're filtering for partnership. But then I meet all these kinky people who've met each other and they just like, there must be secret human signals. Because I'm like, I'm kinky and I blah, blah, blah. Yeah, what? Well, I actually just remembered the year before he and I kissed, because like we would go to summer camp every year. Oh, it's so queer. We were writing like poems to each other and like we'd play a game, tell me something I don't know about mm. you. And we'd write like list of 50 things we didn't know about each other. And every time it would get a little more like racier and a little racier. And then we'd just like have our off periods together and just talk about what we liked. Like we weren't even hooking up yet. We were just very open about it. And then that made it so exciting the next summer when we like actually were together and starting to like actually touch each other. And we were like, oh, okay. (laughs) I think we did have connection before the sexual connection, but our connection was also talking about the sexual connection. So it was very intertwined. I also want to just highlight for our listeners how fucking hot that apparently was. So every single person who's like talking about ahead of time is not hot. I'm like, excuse me, lies, because I get so many messages from people who are, I listen to your podcast and it turns me on. So can you each tell me, just start with one favorite thing of your partners? Gosh, there's so many light touches. Mm-hmm. Everywhere? Yeah, just about. Cool. Everywhere. Just starting out with very light touches. The slow burn <laughs> to a certain until they get impatient, which is so fun for me. Ah. I really love teasing. Mm-hmm. Like love teasing. Like kind of the opposite of me. Like I'm pretty impatient. He could go for fucking ever. Like I'm the one who gets impatient. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm teasing you, but like I want to fuck you now. Yeah. And like I know you want me to wait, but like uh, yeah. he loves I'm Go ahead. so excited to say this out loud to somebody else. <laughs> you love being fucked senseless. Oh, and man. that has been like a hard thing for me to like learn to do and get in that headspace. But yep, you love that. Why is it hard and how do you get into the headspace if you can say briefly? It ties in a lot to like my own transition story, but basically like my experience with like queer sex had been really limited up until then. And the type of queer sex I was having was like very gentle, very I guess you could say feminine, very soft. Even as someone who identified as a woman at the time, having sex with cis males, like I could be aggressive, but like I was still in a certain role, if that makes sense. So like to have someone be like, no, I want you to like take on this super masculine, like fuck me energy. I was like, I don't know. Like in my mind, the only people that have like had that type of aggression towards me in sex were not safe. So I was like, that feels like I'm embodying something that's bad. Uh, so I think it was a mix of like feeling like that's scary because the only way I've been interacting with that energy has been unsafe. And two, like I might actually like that a little bit more than I know and mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with. So a moment of that doesn't feel safe. And then also like, I think I like this feeling. 
And it awoke something in me where I was like, oh no, okay, well now I have to think about that. <laughs> yeah. You're really, really good at it. Oh. Not to say that you have to be some shade of queer to be able to like fuck someone senseless in any way, shape or form, but for me, it tied in. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Okay, well, I would like to hear you both talk about restraints. I think we have different preferred restraint setups. Mm-hmm. Like for me, the more restraints applied to me, the better mm-hmm. when I'm on the receiving end of being restrained. Partially, I think, because I get really in my head about like, I don't know what to do with my hand. My leg is at a weird angle. That's not hot and like whatever. So the more restrained I am, the less I have to think about in terms of the performative mm-hmm. learned behavior that I have, because it's like, no, my job is to be still. Mm-hmm. That's my job right mm-hmm. now. And it's wonderful. And it also is like, I can play the brat, but in reality, I just want to be good. Mm-hmm. So like I'm being bratty and then I'm restrained. I'm like, oh, good. Now I don't have to continue to put up a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we talking like full, like bed restraints, like ankles and feet? Are we talking about shibari? Are we talking like how fully restrained are we? I wish shibari. We've learned a couple ties. Mm but not much. We do have under mattress restraints. Mm-hmm. We've got cuffs. We've got spreader bars. Spreader bar. Nice. We've got thigh cuffs that attach to a sling thingy to keep legs apart. <gasps> We've got a handcuff. We've got <laughs> a collar that is attached to cuffs that go behind your back. Nice. How long did it take you to build up this collection? Oh my God. Not as long as you might think. <laughs> it was like our quarantine obsession. Amazing. <laughs> I spent so much money on toys and other accoutrements during quarantine. It's yeah. insane. Yeah, we call it the arsenal. We have a lot of things. I carry it in a toolbox. I was just going to ask. Oh, my God. Ooh, cool. Some of it's in a toolbox. Doesn't all fit. <laughs> and then, E, what about you and restraints? I want to hear your details, restraints-wise. Like, so something that has been really awesome that we've like learned to do with each other is be really intentional about scenes. So like we talk beforehand of like, what do we want to do basically? And I'm okay with restraints if I'm not going to try to come and it's just a scene for scene's sake and to have fun in a scene of some sort. And when I say okay with restraints, I mean like full restraints. Like I'm okay with like being completely as much as immobilized as possible for basically a short period of time. And then I need some kind of control over how I'm making my body feel or like the idea of having control over my body again is really important for my mental like safety and therefore like my sexual turn on. So like, it's okay for me for a little while, but then I need to like be able to feel in control again. But yeah, I like my hands being restrained. I really like the spreader box and the things that keep my legs apart and my like fantasy one day is suspension. I think I would really love that. But again, I'm not sure how long I could be in it for multiple reasons, but I definitely have a lot of suspension fantasies Mm. for sure. So rope ties are complicated and to learn them requires a lot of skill. I've been having lots of fantasies lately about hiring a rope top to help me just like experience some of it because it's going to take me a couple years to learn how to do it and then I won't be able to do it to myself. Is that something that would fall into your like purview of non-monogamishness or how do you, can you tell us a little bit about that part and how or if it plays into kinky stuff or even fantasy wise? We haven't talked about that in specific, but generally I think our way of non-monogamy has been 
it hasn't had a lot to do with kink. It's been more so about emotional connection and some sexual connection. We started dating again right when the pandemic was kind of hitting or like right before. So our ability to connect other people was quite limited up until recently. And so we've only kind of recently been exploring other people and other people's bodies. We haven't really talked about it being specific to exploring kink relationships. We have in terms of like sexual relationships, which might move into that direction. Mm -hmm. I think the closest conversation we've had around it has been using, for me, a relationship that I'm starting to foster is really important to me to be able to heal my relationship to cis men, Mm -hmm. sexually reheal my relationship to cis men. So like in that way, yes, we're using non-monogamy to like do some work around sexual stuff, but specific to kink, we haven't talked about it much. I actually just want to tell you the fantasy that's behind this question, and then you can tell me if it's too much. Because I'm imagining a scenario in which, you know, E watches A get tied up because it sounds like A can be bound for a while. And then I am imagining like A being tied up with this rope top, like tying E up, but you're like close enough that you can like kiss or maybe E's a little more free to like touch A like this, but you're like hanging in the air. And then for me, everything is like, and we're documenting it. It's an art project. And you know, and I like get really over the top, but I'm wondering if that's the type of dynamic that you might ever invite in, in a kinky way. You just described like 90% of my fantasies. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. One thing that like I need in order to come is a fantasy in my mind. Mm. And I've like had to decrease a lot of shame around that for a while. But often my fantasies are watching someone pleasure A while he's bound up in some way, shape or form. And sometimes I'm also in that position close to him. And sometimes I'm directing that person to what they're doing to him. And sometimes I'm asking him to like report back to me of what it feels like. It's like, yeah. So those are definitely, we haven't talked about how we would make that come true, but um, it's on the list. In the, so, in the, the realm list. of fantasy. <laughs> cool. Cool. Okay. So next I would like to hear about squirting. I will say that squirting was like one of the first things that I ever got into, at least watching porn wise. Mm. And I had a lot of shame around that for a long time because like no one talked about it. And also the majority of people that I did know that talked about it was just like, you broke it's huge. But I never knew I could do it until I think like midway through college, my ex that I hung out with the other day, once we broke up, I actually had sex with his boss like the next week. And he was just like a random guy that I met, but he was really the only hookup I had ever had to this day that was just a hookup, just like a few times here and there, but like truly cared about my pleasure and like, wanted to make me come want like would try anything and everything and like was just really interested in talking about it all the time he's a weird weird guy in every other way but like that way was so 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 sweet and he just by accident one position we were in I don't even remember what it was but I started squirting and he was like yes and I was like oh my god and I was so happy and then I would try to emulate that like I tried to make it happen for so long And it didn't happen until like a year or two into that last long-term relationship. And yeah, I definitely need like internal stimulation and external stimulation. I honestly can't tell you how it happens because I can't do it to myself. But he's figured out the ways. Hey, can you tell us? Can you tell us the method? Yeah. As any G-spot guide will tell you, not too deep. There absolutely is that sort of rougher textured patch not too far in, maybe about two inches in. And 
they actually tend to prefer rather than like the classic come hither motion, that motion in reverse and external stimulation, they need to be semi elevated, like in a semi seated, semi laying down position. And it's helpful if you've come at least once already. True. Not necessary, but helpful. Cool. Okay, so impact play, E. I had always wanted someone to, like, hit me more in sexual play, and, like, no one ever would. I would, like, ask for it, and people time and time again would just be like, hmm. Except for slapping my ass. I have a pretty sizable ass, and so that was something that was, like, always done without consent most of my life. And so I didn't know if I actually liked it or if I was just used to it. So with A, we started exploring more with different types of impact on different parts of the body. And I have found that like it's huge for my physical release and emotional, mental, physical release. It just really helps. Mostly chest impact, I found, has been really healing. And sometimes we have just sessions with that. Like after work, if I'm just like really needing some release, I'll just be like, Will you come upstairs and we just do a scene real quick, just for like five or 10 minutes. And it's really, really helpful. What are your favorite implements? Usually just his hands is what helps or what feels best to me. We do have floggers, paddles. I like them, but they don't do the same thing for me. And I really like face slapping, especially like right when I'm coming. Yes. It feels really good. <laughs> I am there with you. Hey, what about praise? So I am not super keen on being on the receiving end of humiliation or degradation so much. I'm a sensitive flower. Mm. And so praise, being told I'm good, being told I'm doing a good job, being told I'm pretty or putting on a good show or anything like that. I stop being able to make words. And I'm just like, yes, I'm good. I am a good boy. I am good. Yes. I am the goodest. <laughs> I am so good. And I really like giving praise as well because I think it can be a really healing thing. And I'm also still working on getting comfortable with being verbally a little more mean. That's taken some some getting used to, but I'm working on it. So I'm trying to work in like sweetly condescending phrases and things like that. Receiving or giving them? Oh, I guess. Mostly giving sort of sweet condescension. I tend to prefer straight praise in the right circumstances. Some almost dehumanizing language is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can feel very sweet if you're in the right context with the right person where the understandings are everywhere has been my experience. I had a partner recently tell me that he likes some meanness. And I was like, I'm gonna have to practice that. It's so hard for me. Yeah. Because also in real life, for me in real life, every time I think that I have like matched the human level of teasing that's currently happening in a social situation, I'm wrong and I hurt feelings. So I'm very afraid of, I can absolutely say mean stuff, but I've spent the last 30 years trying not to because I hate puncturing feelings, you know, and so I have to have deep amount of trust in the other person. You know, this is a person I trust a lot, but I'm also just like, it's going to take a while for me to like open to that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Speaking of good boys, E, can you tell us about puppy play? It's not something we've explored to like a crazy extent or anything, but I do have a tail. I want to get them another tail. Yeah. One that wags. Yeah. 
I think it came from telling A that in past relationships, I really enjoyed kind of rough, like rolling around play. And that often me and past partners would like make growling sounds and like act kind of like animals. Like I really liked that. And he was the one who was actually like, well, like what about puppy play? And I was like, no, 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 no. And then we like tried it out a little bit. And I was like, oh, what a cute. And I don't think we have necessarily like a, a dynamic of it in terms of like, you know, I'm not his pet necessarily. Are you puppies together? Is that what that means? <gasps> we could try that. We could try that. Oh. Yeah. That's a new one. Cool. Look at you. Just well, because you were talking about growling and stuff. And I was like, wait, are they both growling? And like, I had a friend, a former lover who is now very into pet play and puppy play and dragon play. Dra- Did you say dragon play? They're a dragon. I have some research to do when we're done here. <laughs> Hey, I would like to know about giving and receiving marks. Yeah. So that started because I like a lot. I always have. I remember being at camp at 15 and asking someone to bite my arm as hard as they felt comfortable biting my arm, not even in any kind of sexual way, just because I was like, no, like, really, please do it. Like, yeah. please. Yeah. And like, it left an indent for days. Honestly, it was awesome. I probably watch kids at this camp. I promise. We do, no, we do. We do. Totally. And when we were campers, there was less supervision than there is now. Okay. Yeah. So it started with figuring out that I really like biting. And then also basically touch my neck and I'm a puddle. I'm about to either become a puddle or absolutely just go feral. Mm. So like a light touch or like a back of the neck grab or what kind of touches? We got a claw motion. Yeah, less on the light <laughs> side. Usually more of like a a good chunk. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, grabbing, biting. But so I also really like hickeys, Mm. giving and receiving. I like seeing them after the fact. I like seeing them days later. Me too. I don't really have any experience yet with bruising left from impact play or anything like that. But I have no doubt that I would like that too. (laughs) Yeah, just the visual and physical reminders I'm really into. Awesome. And then E on that note, choking? Yeah, I started that with my last partner, and he was really hesitant to try it, but then ended up loving it too. We weren't doing it in the most safe way back then. And I'm really lucky that like nothing happened, but I still liked that particular sensation. Are we giving or receiving here? Receiving okay. for me. Cool. I hadn't given until this one. And I like that too a lot. But yeah, I haven't like played too much with breath play, but mm-hmm. just in terms of joking itself, that really heightens my sensations. I don't know why necessarily, but it feels like I can almost focus more mm-hmm. on all of it at once rather than one particular place or being overwhelmed. I can relate to that. I want to just say a little safety note for our listeners. You must learn how to do this properly. Breath play can cause brain damage and death if you do not. I am not going to tell you how to do it. I am not a teacher, but please research it. There are certain places that you cannot push. There are certain pathways you should not cut off. So I like to be mama safety, but I also uh, do enjoy a good choke on receiving end. I've never choked any. Well, I'm learning how to choke people, but that's for the future. <laughs> okay, so A, I would also like to hear about body worship. Yeah, so this is something that we haven't really had an opportunity to explore all that much. But I really love being able to truly take my time and just lavish every part of them with affection and attention. There's been one instance in particular where I did like a whole body massage Mm. 
honestly, I could have kept doing that for hours. <laughs> I mean, just to really take the time to bear witness to someone's physical being and love every atom that makes up their flesh vessel, you know, it's beautiful. And I would absolutely do more of it. E, do you go wild because you're impatient or do you, are you able to drop in? I'm pretty impatient. For me, I'm learning that my impatience often has to do with like feeling uncomfortable being seen for so long and so deeply. And I have to be in like the right mental, emotional state for that. If I'm having a lot of dysphoria or I'm having like, I'm mentally not doing well or emotionally not doing well, that is much harder for me to do. And while the potential healing of that could be really great, it's just usually not a time where I'm able to receive that well. Mm. So I either get impatient because I'm uncomfortable or I, yeah, I get impatient because I'm just like way too turned on. And I can sometimes withstand him doming me in the sense of like, no, this is, yeah. you're not allowed to move. Like you have to continue to stay still. And like, and I can like sometimes get into that, but it usually hits the point where I'm like, this isn't hot anymore. Like if you keep doing this, I'm just going to be either turned off completely or like, I need to jump your bones now. Like it gets to a point where I need to have that control again for some reason or another. Cool. Sorry. Cool. <laughs> it's all right. Speaking of receiving, can you tell me about your experience with anal play? I first started playing around with that with my first college boyfriend. And the first time was awesome, which I don't think is always the case for people. So I feel really grateful that the first time was, I had a lot of pleasure from it. And I was like, whoa, okay. And I got closer to having an orgasm that time than I had with like any other alone penetration. And I was like, what? This is so cool. And then I started exploring that by myself and like loved it. Mm with that partner, we didn't have anal sex a lot, but we did explore it more. And then with my next partner, we explored it here and there, but I started getting more self-conscious of it and feeling like I had to be ready and like having practices to try to like make it perfect and pristine. And then with A, we've bought just so many different toys to explore with. Like we have one that inflates while it's in there and vibrates. We have a bunch of different plugs, my tail, I'm curious about the inflators. I haven't tried one, but do you have a favorite toy for anal play? I really like the inflating one. Mm. I like knowing that there's control over how much, again, me in control. Yeah. <laughs> and like knowing that there's a way to change it if needed and wanted. And that like just feeling of it expanding as it's already inside is really cool. Yeah. And A, can you tell us about insertion and penetration? This is a relatively new discovery for me that like, the visual of the act of penetration is incredibly hot to me, mm. specifically with things that are not always expected to be used for penetration. For example? For example, <laughs> bottles. Specifically, there are companies out there that make silicone body-safe replicas of bottles because using glass ones is not safe. Thank you for saying that. But yeah, the use of things that are not quote unquote, unquote supposed, supposed to be used for penetration, which is why I say insertion specifically, mm -hmm. I guess, because mm -hmm. it's not an in-out motion or anything like that. It's literally mm -hmm. just like the visual of watching something go in. Yeah. Been exploring recently. Fisting, for example. <gasps> we have gotten so close. I know. Cool. But we're still working on it. Well, you don't want to get there too fast. You got to have something to work toward. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
think I'd like that as much as I do in terms of the giving. I don't think I'm as excited about the receiving, but I didn't think I'd be like as into the giving as I am. It's really fun. Okay. Are there any other things that you need to say about your sex life that you love or that you want to incorporate at some point? For me, I want more group play. A and I have had one threesome with a good friend of ours and I really enjoyed that. And I have like a total thing about watching him receive pleasure from anybody or anything. So I think like, yeah, the more the better for me. And I love the idea of just like seeing an abundance of wanting and an abundance mm-hmm. of pleasure. Group wise, would you be more open to like a threesome or moresome with people you know, or would you be open to like sex party vibes? Both for me cool. personally. I think so long as everyone is vetted yeah. at the party, I'd be good. Yeah. And as, whenever sex parties and like dungeons are open, which I know some places they are, that would be something I'd be wanting to explore nice future hopes goals and dreams play parties yeah. is the first thing i wrote down <laughs> cool when feels safer i desperately want to go to play parties yeah. desperately <laughs> and just in general i want to continue to grow and explore you know i have learned so much over the course of our relationship in particular mm-hmm. about things that i like things i don't like things that i want to try you know, my limits, my boundaries, my, you know, I've learned so much and I want to continue learning and growing and experiencing Mm -hmm. as feels comfortable. I will say one other awesome fantasy that I do want to have some experience with is glory holes. I like (gasps) have had that fantasy and I just want to have that experience either on the receiving or giving side in some way, shape or form in a very safe and vetted way for sure. But that's another big one. Fuck yeah. One of the things at the top of my list is just I have yet to interact with a flesh and blood penis. Oh. It hasn't happened for me yet. And I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. Mm. But good Lord, I need to know. I need <laughs> to find out. Like this has been on my mind for so long. Yeah. That's like top of my list of things that must happen. There's so much to look forward to. And will you let us know if you feel called to let us know when you get there? We'd be curious. Oh, absolutely. Great. Okay. Lastly, if you could each go back in time and give younger versions of yourself a piece of sexual advice, what age or ages would you pick and what would you say? I think I would pick two ages. One would be like around seven, which was like when I was having an interaction with a friend that was non-consensual, but also felt good and was confusing. I think I would go back and be like, this is not okay. It is non-consensual. It's okay that it feels good. It doesn't mean anything's bad or wrong about you. It's, yeah. That's natural. And it's okay that you feel like manipulated because you are. They can both exist at the same time. And like, you know, what you're doing is not dirty or wrong. Mm. I think that would have saved me some things. And then also age 15, where I was really starting to have more intercourse and would have said like, your pleasure matters. And people who are worth your time are going to be the people who like are going to want to help you feel satisfied and care about your pleasure. Mm. And also tell them that saying no is okay, even if people like think that you're being rude or prudish or whatever. And then I'd also just be like, you're queer as fuck. Like go have sex with other people who are not cis males Mm. while you're sober. Mm. And like, just go do that. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I would also pick 
two different ages, the first being around age 13 and just saying like, you are not responsible for anyone else's happiness. Mm -hmm. It's not your job and you deserve to be loved openly, honestly, and freely. And you are worthy of that. And hopefully spare myself some of that gas. And the other thing is I'd go back to around age 20 where I was in a straight relationship as a queer person and just be like, look, being asexual is totally valid. And you are so not ace. (laughs) And like, it would be okay if you were, homie, but genuinely just like, you're gonna have excellent sex. Mm. It's gonna be wonderful. And you're queer as fuck. I'm so (laughs) queer. So queer. Fuck yeah. Do either or both of you have a question for me? First question I have is, is there a question that you've been waiting for someone to ask you? Honestly, if there were, I, pr- I would probably make it up and pretend like someone asked me. I'm open to questions, but because this is like also such a thing with my sexuality, because so much of my, what I want to give to other people is what I think they want to receive. I have a deep desire to like really know what's up with other people, which is why even with casual sex, I get really terrified when people are silent because I'm like, what's going on in there? And, you know, on the flip side, there's something that I'm always kind of exploring about, like, does that mean that I'm not like willing to give myself if I'm not invited? Like, I do have an element of that that I've been exploring and it feels related to my shyness. So I don't know. I want to just like answer questions if people want to know the answers, but it's really hard for me to think about what people don't know about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I really like, I had a hard time with thinking about a question to ask you because you are so mm-hmm. willingly open about yourself on your podcast. It, like your playship episode, for example, like you shared so much about like your life in different aspects that I was, I mean, I was so grateful for it. And I was also like, what the hell am I going to ask her? I feel like you know, all the questions I had about what was going on in your life were like answered in that moment. But you had another one that I did not think of, but I think is a good question. If that's all right. Please go for it. I love questions. I love it when people ask me stuff I haven't (laughs) thought about because I spend so much time just fucking thinking about and like wondering about stuff and just (laughs) noodling. Yeah. (laughs) Noodling. I like that. Noodling. Heck yeah. (laughs) Okay. Do you have a go-to sex playlist? If yes, what's on it? And if no, why not? Only recently. So no, because I'm super duper sensitive to sound and light when I come. So only recently, and I actually didn't make it myself. I just took it from my friend who gave it to, like, she shared it with me. (laughs) There's a lot of these that I actually don't know. Pretty ugly. I feel better. It's like a bunch of, I don't even know how to describe this music. Oh, there's some Neutral Milk Hotel. I do love Neutral Milk Hotel. Lana Del Rey. If I'm picking, Lana's probably my go-to for sexy music. Love me some Lana. Always turns me on. But yeah, I'm super duper noise sensitive and light sensitive. And last night I was having sex with my very hot lover. And like after I came, I was like, you know, I I basically have to like roll over and just be a mush. And I try to like put a blanket or if I don't have a blanket, I'll just cover up my eyes for a while. He went and turned off most of the lights except the tiny little barely bedroom lamp. And he was like, is that better? And I was like, yeah. And then I actually opened my eyes and I was like, no, (laughs) like it's still bright. like almost no light so i get hypersensitive but also half the time slaps fix that so just not always after Mm -hmm. orgasm just depends just depends it's so real e and a thank you for being such 
beautiful guests and sharing your stories. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Really, truly, this has been more lovely than I have words for.